These are the tales of a butthole full of guys. It's continuing mission to explore strange new pounds, to seek out hard buds and modern trots, to prove love where no one has proved love before. No, this is not next episode of Star's Trek. My captain is bald, my captain is hard. In which they realize that robots have feelings too, and can even pet a cat. And also, they are good at solving mysteries in the imagination room. No way, buddy. This is next episode of Pounded in the Butt by my own podcast, with your host, Dr. Chuck Tingle. Today's Tingler is a classic tale name of Slammed in the Butthole by my concept of linear time, a story that I've not yet written or wrote 208 years ago, depending on which timeline you are listening on. This tale makes me think on some things that are difficult for me to think on without becoming an anxious man. Mainly question, what is time? Long time ago, the universe entered its timeline, and ever since then, infinite timelines have been stacking up on top of each other, showing all kinds of different ways of reality. In some timelines, there are no people at all, just trees and plants talking to each other on a warm day in the breeze, trying to figure out what's for lunch, since they can't eat apples, that would be weird. Some timelines have no up or down, and some are made up of nothing but endless frozen lake. Some timelines go slow, and others go fast. As my name of Chuck, world's greatest author, I can travel from one timeline to another, but, but I mostly like to stay close because it can be difficult to return from these faraway lands. Don't want to run into an angry reverse twin or end up stuck in a pocket of the void, which can spring up between layers of reality if you're not careful. But I like my home timeline pretty dang good. This is where Sun John and Chloe live. Even though some things could be better, like maybe Ted Cobbler could fall into a snake pit, things are okay in Billings for Wald's greatest author. Problem is, when I start thinking on time too much, it makes me wish that I had more time to spend here with the ones that I love. Makes me think, well, this is a good moment sitting here with my son, watching Way Out West, my days with the robot that shoots people, and also it knows it's a robot, also is a cowgirl with a handsome cowboy friend. But I wish I could hold on to this moment forever. Wouldn't it be nice if I could freeze time on this layer of reality? But then it is sad days ahead when I realize that I cannot freeze time, not on this timeline anyway. Time keeps on trotting along, not a care in the dang world, and it takes us along with it, doesn't matter how hard you try to fight it. A few buckaroos have tried, though, sometimes hoping to stop time, and sometimes thinking, what if I could go back in time and, f- and fix a problem of my past? Hit movies like, The Future Is Back, My Day With The Crazy Doctor, and The Future Is Back Too, Now We Are In The City, try to shed light on this way. And I think that is very important. 
Even if we can't make this a reality, we can understand our relationship with time a little better as artistic buckaroos. Then maybe next time, when we think about how long this timeline really is, and the overwhelming cosmic size makes us shake and drool in a scary way, we can remember that it is okay, because this fear is something that we all go through together. Even Martin Flyman was scared of time, and he is handsome and cool and had a cool guy skateboard, and also he had handsome Dr. Bud, and also he was a werewolf. Slammed in the butthole by my concept of linear time continues to explore our relationship with time because it is about having a relationship with time. Our reader today is Becca Blackwell, who will take us on an important journey to help understand time. Is time a handsome bad boy or a laid back charmer or maybe both? Let's listen in and find the heck out. All right. Slammed in the Butthole by My Concept of Linear Time by Chuck Tingle. I'm always confused when my friends complain about their jobs. Not because I disagree with their assessment that work sucks, but because it's something that we already all know. I mean, sure, there are the lucky few that have followed their dreams as a painter or writer or artist and somehow, in the face of all logical probability, carved out a living doing it. For the rest of us, however, Work is work. When someone tells me they want to find a job that's more fulfilling, that they want to do something meaningful with their life, all I can wonder to myself is, what? What exactly is this magical position that keeps them happy, healthy, and, oh yeah, off the street? With the economy in shambles and massive hordes of Americans sinking below the poverty line every day, mm, I'll take what I can get. Not only take it, I'm going to hold on to it tight. It's this mentality that has kept me both employed and admittedly miserable, working my way up through the chain of command in my office by keeping my head down and saying, yes, sir, to nearly every question that comes my way. It's very submissive. Can you stay late tonight and work on the presentation? Yes, sir. How about reworking the sales report to include this new data? Yes, sir. And by now, I'm truly exhausted. But there is a roof over my head and food in my fridge. I've even got enough saved up to send both of my kids to college. Sounds like hell. This should shed a little light on why exactly I decided to tell my boss that I was more than willing to take over for bourbons on his quarterly investor's report since the man is gravely ill and can't make it into work. With only one day to prepare, the idea of me carrying this important meeting entirely on my shoulders is both terrifying and a little preposterous. But at the end of the day, somebody's got to do it. I find out in the afternoon and begin my preparations immediately, heading off to an unused corner office with a massive stack of papers in order to familiarize myself with Bourbon's work. His research is a little cerebral for me, but I can fake this kind of science talk if truly need to. Alrighty, I sigh to myself, dropping the stack of papers onto the desk with a loud thud and then collapsing into my chair. I take a long sip from my coffee and then read aloud from the first... It says from the fist page. It doesn't say it says. I take a long sip from my coffee and then read aloud from the fist page. <laughs> okay, editors. Systematic, this is what the fist page says. Systematic operations report of Kronos project and linear field testing. I open up the first page. Now it's the first page. I open up the first page and start to read, holding my forehead as the headache immediately begins to form. I can already tell that I'm in way over my head with this, half of the words completely unpronounceable while the rest are describing concepts that I can't even begin to understand. Suddenly there's a knock at the office door behind me. 
I turn in my seat as my boss, Mr. Whippo, enters. How's it uh, coming along in there? The large, imposing man asks. He is tall with dark features and a tightly cropped beard. He sounds like someone on the Craigslist ads I respond to. Just started to crack it open, I inform him, but so far so good. You understand everything okay? I know it's a little dense, my boss questions. Oh yeah, of course, I confirm, lying through my teeth. I glance down at the page before me, randomly grabbing onto the first phrases that I see. Oh yeah, of course, I confirm, lying through my teeth. Uh, temporal phase shifts, I mean, that's my bread and butter. <laughs> Mr. Whippo lets out a long sigh of relief. Ugh, thank God, the man says. I was worried for a minute. I guess it's okay to tell you that they've moved up the meeting then. You've got a, another hour before we see you in conference room A. Oh, sure, I stammer, trying my best to be the dutiful yes man that I've worked so hard to become. Great, exclaims Mr. Whippo, giving me a confident wink. Mm, they're going to have anal sex. He knocks once on the doorframe with his knuckles and then exits quickly. <laughs> that is the grossest move ever, leaving me to wallow in my own fear of what's about to happen at this high-profile meeting. Immediately, I begin to tear through the pages, flipping faster and faster as I scan the material for the most important parts. Unfortunately, the language is so dense that I can't even pick out the most important parts are simply just searching for buzzwords that I think will impress the investors. Everything's going well until suddenly I reach a section of diagrams, various blueprints for what would appear to be a large circular machine. My company, Butt Industries, does plenty of research and development on an assortment of projects, from high-tech weaponry to environmentally efficient energy solutions. Just looking at the pictures, this object could be any one of these things. But for the moment, I'm guessing it's some kind of video game. Time Displacement System, I read aloud. Suddenly, there's another knock at the door, and Mr. Whippo's secretary steps inside. Are you ready? She questions urgently. I wanted to make her drunk. They're already down in the conference room. I glance up at the clock and I'm shocked to find out that while my face was buried in this tome of hard science, time had been flying by. The meeting starts in three minutes. It only says three minutes. This is someone who struggles with English. Holy shit, I blurt, standing up from the table and spilling my cup of coffee everywhere. I'll get that, the secretary tells me. You go. I grab the stack of papers before the brown beverage can get to them, running out the door with a frantic thank you and then sprinting down the long hallway before me. The building that I work in is huge, and it takes the full three minutes to get to the conference room A. Thankfully, however, I'm somehow able to make it there in the nick of time, bursting through the door with a wild look in my eyes. I'm here, I announce to the room of patiently waiting investors, a table full of balding men that extends on for what seems like forever. Mr. Whippo sits at the head, staring across the table with pride at his favorite employee's arrival. All right, so I start trying to collect myself. Behind me, a slide suddenly appears, displaying one of the blueprints that I had just been looking over. Okay, I say, clapping once as I try to regain my focus. This is, of course, the Kronos Project, a new gaming system that we've been developing here at Butt Industries over the last year. I scan the expressions of the businessmen before me, subtly trying to discern whether or not I've hit the mark. They do not seem pleased. Of course, there are other applications of this device, as I'm sure you all know, I announced, trying to correct course. We have a Blu-ray player installed and obviously DVDs. The crowd definitely doesn't like this. And I'm beginning to sweat profusely, my words stumbling over each other and spilling out of my mouth in a jumbled mess. I mean, I'm sure you all know or you don't know that's why you're all here. I mean, I, I'm, sure, I, I'm sure you understand what this is for. Suddenly, Mr. Whippo pipes up. This is a joke, Rondock. 
Is that really what his name is? Rondock. Is this a joke, Rondock? I freeze, trying desperately to figure out the best way to play this. <laughs> yeah, it's a joke, I finally tell them. Well, it's not a very good one, replies my boss. This is a very exciting announcement. Let's tell the people what they want to hear. <laughs> yes, of course, I start. sorry about that, I say, straightening up. We're here at Butt Industries, are proud to announce... I glance up at the blueprint being projected behind me, trying desperately to latch onto any bit of information that could point me in the right direction. Proud to announce, I repeat, I think that's enough, Mr. Whippo suddenly interrupts. I'm sorry, gentlemen, it appears that Rondock is not actually prepared for the very important meeting we'll reschedule for tomorrow. The investors begin to grumble restlessly as they stand up from their chairs, collecting their things and heading for the door. Rondock, my boss says, looking directly at me with an intense anger in his eyes. You're fired. Should I say it like Trump? No, I can't. I don't. I can't do Trump. It's painful. As his words hit my ears, I feel as though my heart has literally stopped in my chest. A fate so unimaginably devastating that I can barely even bring myself to accept it. What? Is all I can say. You heard me. Get the fuck out, my boss demands sternly. Without another word, I take my paperwork and head off into the hallway. I feel the shell of a man, an empty vessel that carries absolutely nothing on the inside of other than a hollowing, aching pain. What the fuck am I going to do? I have a family to support. Before I know it, I've arrived at my office where a large cardboard box is already waiting for me to collect my things. I don't waste any time, I guess. I solemnly begin to place framed photos and other keepsakes from my desk into the box, tears lightly falling from my eyes as I struggle in vain to retain my composure. Nothing about this is fair, but it's the hand that I've been dealt, and I need to accept that. It's not long before this sadness turns to anger, however, and suddenly I'm grabbing the stack of papers and hurling them across my office in a fit of rage. The papers flutter and swirl through the air, turning this way and that as they tumble across the room. One piece in particular catches my eye, landing right there in front of me on the desk. Time machine, I read aloud. It takes a moment for the words to register, but when they do, my jaw nearly hits the floor. The Kronos Project wasn't a new video gaming system. It was a goddamn time machine. I suddenly realized why this meeting was so important, why Whippo was so furious that I couldn't handle it, which, of course, is ridiculous because I didn't have enough time to prepare. But what if I did? It suddenly occurs to me that there is a way of fixing all of this, a way that I can keep my job as well as understand the Kronos Project inside and out. Without another thought, I head out into the main hallway of my building B, lining for the elevator, then pressing a button for the research lab. Normally, I wouldn't be able to reach this part of the complex with my security clearance, but just for the today, all of Bourbon's identifications have been transferred over onto me. Deeper and deeper, the elephant, the elephant. <laughs> deeper and deeper, the elevator descends until eventually I reach the absolute bottom floor of my building, Research Lab 1. This is where all the most highly regarded and diligently protected science is located. A place that I have never dreamed I've had access to in all of my years working at Butt Industries. The elevator doors slide open slowly, revealing a massive lab that is more reminiscent of an airplane hangar than an office building. I have no idea how they are able to fit all of this down here, right below the hustling, bustling streets of Manhattan, but here it is in all of its glory. Before me is a massive white sphere, sitting atop three pedestals and humming a low, strange drone. Its surface is metallic, but shimmers with a strange, pearly current, flickers of electricity that dance and play while they run down every side. I don't have long to stare, though, as moments later my focus is broken by the sound of rapidly approaching footsteps. 
Immediately, I duck into the shadows behind a large wooden crate, just narrowly avoiding the gaze of two armed guards when they stroll past. <laughs> Clearly, this idea is much more dangerous than I had anticipated, but I find solace in the fact that, regardless of how much commotion I make getting to it, once I'm in the machine, I'll be able to go back far enough that none of this will have ever happened. With that in mind, I sneak closer and closer to the giant sphere, taking note of an open hatch at the bottom. If I make a run for it, I'll be inside before anyone can stop me, and then it's just a matter of finding the controls. I pause for a moment, take a deep breath as I prepare myself for the surge of adrenaline that is about to pulse through my whole body. My heart is pounding a mile a minute, hammering within my chest. It's now or never. Heading straight for the hatch at the bottom of the time machine, I erupt from my hiding spot in a full-on sprint, pushing my muscles to work as hard as they possibly can. Hey! Someone shouts from behind me. You can't go in there! It's not safe! For a split second, I actually consider heeding his warning, but at this point, I've already crossed the line. There's no turning back. I grab onto a small metal ladder at the bottom of the sphere and hoist myself up into the hatch, slamming the door closed behind me. Now I'm in a pitch black room, so dark that I can't even see my hand in front of my face. I begin to stumble around, desperately searching for some kind of controls, while fists begin to furiously pound against the outside of my metal shell. There are voices, men and women frantically tell me to open up, but I don't listen. Eventually, their shouts become quieter and odder, the words melting together in the air and turning into an awkward mush of syllables that I don't recognize. My entire body is tingling, and the humming that I heard on the outside of this machine is now deafeningly loud in my ears. The pitch keeps rising and rising, and with it, the darkness of the sphere changes into a brilliant blue. Oh my god, I stammer, gazing upwards. Suddenly, everything stops. I realize now that the blue I had seen is the turquoise hue of a beautiful sky that stretches out away from me in every direction. Covered in fluffy white clouds, I'm standing on a pure white floor with absolutely no features, just a massive nothingness. Hello? I call out. I spin in a circle, searching for any clue or connection to the place that I once was. Suddenly, I find a man standing right behind me, startling me so much that I nearly topple over backwards. It takes me a moment to collect myself, but when I do, I realize that I'm face to face with a nude, muscular hunk whose head is nothing more than a large clock. Do not be afraid, Rondog, says the man. Who are you? I stammer, backing away slowly. I am you. I am me. I am everything explains the clock-headed creature, which doesn't really explain much of anything. You're not me. I'm me, I protest. When you say those words, it was the present. Now your words are in the past. Do you know how they got there? Questions the man. I shake my head. Time. That's me, he explains. I'm everywhere, and I've been everywhere forever. If you're everywhere, then why are you standing here? I ask. Aren't you just a concept? This is the form that I have chosen to take when communicating with humans, explains Time. If it weren't for this body, your brain would literally explode just by looking at me, trying to make sense of my presence in your simple three-dimensional world. You're from a fourth-dimensional world, I stammer. I am the fourth dimension, Time replies smugly. I shake my head. My brain is trying to keep up with all of this information as it whizzes past. How did I get here, I ask. That is a great question. You tell me, Time states. This isn't a safe place for you to be. 
One wrong move and your consciousness could get repeated across time forever, which would be excruciatingly painful. That's what happened to the last guy who showed up. I suddenly realized that I've made a terrible mistake. Time is right. This is not a place it should be and certainly isn't worth trying to go back and fix my presentation at the office. Can you send me home, I ask, to the right time before I left? Time lets out a long sigh. I suppose I can try. Suddenly I find myself standing in the hallway at my office once again. I look down into my hands and notice that I'm holding the Kronos Project packet, quickly realizing that behind the door before me is a meeting that will single-handedly destroy my carrier. Destroy it. <laughs> this is what it really says. Suddenly I find myself standing in the hallway of my office once again. I look down into my hands and notice that I'm holding the Kronos pack Project packet, quickly realizing that behind the door before me is a meeting that will single-handedly destroy my carrier. My career. My second chance, I think. Then take a deep breath and open up the conference room door. What lies on the other side is not at all what I expected, however. The second that I enter an entire boardroom of men who look exactly like me, turn and smile, perfect replicas of my own body. I try to speak, but my words refuse to come out, leaving me left in a brutally awkward silence before these strange clones. Finally, the one of the head of the table stands up. Rondog, what are you waiting for? He asks. Suddenly, I find myself able to speak, but when I do, the worlds come out over and over again, repeating in an endless feedback loop. I look behind me and find that there are copies of myself leading from outside of the hallway to where I stand now, frozen replications locked forever in time. TIME! I scream, the words echoing out on and on and on until everything just stops abruptly and I'm standing back before the muscular creature once again. The gorgeous blue sky spills out all around us. See? Says time. It gets complicated. It's not like in the movies, you know. I am a fucking crazy man. Sometimes I don't even understand how the fuck I work. Well, how do I get out of this? I beg to know. How do I make everything normal again? You mean how do you get back to the timeline you started on? Questions time. I have no idea. I don't even know what universe you started and let alone what timeline. What do you know? I shout, completely losing my cool. Well, let's see, the strange man says, eyeing me up. I'm guessing you're from a fictional universe because you haven't been described very well physically. Time reaches over and tossles my shaggy black hair. See, you didn't even know that your hair was shaggy until I interacted with it. That's just lazy writing right there. I narrow my eyes at him, confused. You mean, I'm not real? Afraid not, explains time, but that's okay. There are ways more fictional characters than real ones. I mean, I'm fictional too, at least in this context. <laughs> All of a sudden, time's getting drunk. How do you know we're not in a movie or something? I demand to know. Because we're made of words. See, time points out using this very sentence as an example. Holy shit, you're right, I explain. I should be more shocked by this revelation, but as a fictional character, I realize now that this is emotional outburst is mostly up to the author's discretion. Has this ever happened before? Sure, Time says with a shrug. You ever read Chuck Tingle's other book, reamed by my reaction to the title of this book? 
Suddenly, the abstract concept catches himself. Oh, wait, of course you haven't. Who's Chuck Tingle, I question. Your author, Time explains. He wrote a book before this one where a man realizes that he's just a fictional character. That happens sometimes in Chuck's book. Apparently, I personally think it's quite cruel. Why, I ask. What happens? Well, eventually you'll realize that the book is going to end and it's pretty sad, you know? You find out that once the book is over, you'll just disappear. I suppose it's only sad because Chuck writes it in that way. Though, so for you, he could just as easily make things very pleasant. This makes a lot of sense to me. I suddenly find myself completely at ease with the concept that I am nothing more than a literary character. Thrilled, even. See, Time says, pointing to the paragraph above this one. So, what kind of book is it? I question. The clockman hesitates. What? I continue. What is it? Erotica. Gay erotica, time finally explains. Are you kidding me? I shout, but I'm not gay. <laughs> not yet, replies time. I shake my head, unable to accept this completely bizarre revelation. I'm not gay, I repeat. Time laughs. <laughs> That's what they all say. I suddenly notice just how muscular this strange man really is. The way that his abs clench and release as he chuckles. I hate to admit it. Even as a totally straight man, there is something quite compelling about his perfect physique. I hadn't even noticed it until now, but time is also shockingly well hung. His massive dick slowly twitching to life before my very eyes. It's like he took a shot at testosterone. Maybe a little gay, I finally say, dropping down to my knees before time. As his cock just reaches full attention, Without a moment's hesitation, I open my mouth wide and swallow his enormous girth, bobbing up and down on time's shaft in a slow, confident rhythm. The abstract concept lets out a long, satisfied groan, thrilled by the way that I'm pleasuring him as he places his hands against the back of my head, helps to guide me across his length. We build speed together, faster and faster, until suddenly I push down and hold, taking the clock-headed man completely to the hilt. I look up at him, give a playful wink, his dick fully consumed and his, and his time balls pressed tight against my chin. That feels so fucking good, time moans. Eventually, I run out of air and forced to pull back with a loud gasp, reeling as I struggle to collect my senses. I want you to pound me, I tell him, overwhelmed by a searing gay desire that I have never known I was lying dormant somewhere deep inside me. I tear off my shirt, literally ripping it open as buttons fly everywhere and then throwing it to the side. My pants and underwear follow and the next thing I know, I am standing completely naked before this handsome clock man. Fuck me, I coo, turning around slowly then crawling down onto the strange white ground. I pop my ass towards him, wiggling it playfully as time I buy, wait, as time I buy puckered butthole with a ravenous hunger? Aw. Oh. Wiggling it playfully as time I buy puckered butthole with a ravenous hunger. It doesn't make grammatical sense, <laughs> but I can imagine something. 
Fuck me, I coo, turning around slowly and then crawling down into a strange white ground. I pop my ass towards him, wiggling it playfully as time eyes my puckered butthole with a ravenous hunger. The massive clock-headed man climbs into a position behind me, aligning his humongous dick with a tightly sealed entrance of my back door. I can feel him teasing the rim with the head of his cock, pushing just enough to make me ache for more until finally I can't take it and demand that he shoves it in. Do it, I scream, pounding like a filthy twink that I am. Time abruptly pushes forward, thrusting inside of me in one powerful swoop that stretches the limits of my ass. I can't believe how enormous his member is, a gargantuan rod that can barely be contained as my rectum is pulled taut. Jesus, do you really have to use the word rectum? I ask the author. Why not? Chuck retorts, communicating through the written words is that what they appear before me. What about just about butthole? I question. Chuck shrugs. Moments later, me and Time are right back at it, the muscular lover slamming into my butthole with everything he's got. While the movements had once been slightly painful and wrought with discomfort, the longer he moves inside of me, the more I'm able to adjust to his thickness. Soon enough, any unfortunate sensations have melted away into a powerful, overwhelming bliss. I'm trembling with pleasure, reeling from the sensation of having my prostate massaged from deep within the depths of my anus. Again. I question Chuck's use of the word anus, and once more he informs me that it's fine to be anatomically sometimes that a word variety is a good thing that the reader won't mind. In fact, they're probably not even reading this to get off. What do you mean? I asked him bluntly, my words forever sealed within the pages of this short story. Most people are laughing at us, Chuck informs me. Suddenly, time and I stop. His cock still deep inside of me as we stare out into the nothingness through the black printed words and towards the reader, towards you. Are you really just reading this for a laugh? I ask you. Chuck reminds me that I'm just a character and that I'm not really in the position to be asking the reader anything. Say those quotes when you talk? He asks me, pointing to the previous paragraph. I don't have those because I'm typing directly to the reader. Well, you have to speak in quotes. This means you can't quite talk directly to them. Will you do it for me? I ask. I'm curious to know. Are you just reading this for a laugh? I immediately realized that. Unfortunately, this type of communication only works one way. I'll never really know the intentions of the reader, and I probably just have to take Chuck's word for it. So what should we do then? I question. Just tell jokes? I, I don't get it. No, no. It might be funny to the readers, but not to me. We're getting you off? I question. Me and time? Of course, Chuck says with a nod. I'm suddenly hit by a powerful wave of encouragement. By now, Tom is hammering my asshole with everything he's got, pounding me with reckless abandon as the first hints of orgasm begin to creep slowly across my body. I reach down between my legs and grab hold of my cock, beating myself off in time with time's potent thrusts. Oh my god, I groan. I'm gonna fucking come. Me too, time admits, his voice quaking. Immediately, this hulking abstract concept pushes deep into me and holds, crying out as he fully impales my ass across the length of his rod. I can feel his spunk unloading hard, a series of orgasmic pulses that fill me with an unbelievable warmth. Soon the otherworldly jizz is too much for my asshole to contain, spilling out over the edges of my plugged rim and splattering across the stark white floor below. Seconds later, I'm coming as well, my eyes rolling back in my head as a massive load erupts from the tip of my cock. God damn! I scream, unaware that I was even able of such a mighty sexual explosion. 
When the sensation finally passes, I collapse onto the ground, breathing heavy as time pulls out of me. I roll over and look up at him with his hazy, cock-drunk eyes. What now? I finally ask. Well, I can't send you back, explains time. We already tried that. Maybe uh, Chuck can help you out? Of course I can help you. I'm the dang author. Just get me out of here, I stammer. Suddenly, a small wooden box appears on the ground next to me, beautifully crafted, with a large red button at the top. What's this? I ask. The big red button. What does it do? The big red button is what makes the Tingleverse possible. When pressed, the character who presses it will travel deeper into the Tingleverse, which is just like the universe out there, only gayer. The more times you press the button, the deeper you'll travel. Until... I question, what happens if I keep pressing the button? Well, the Tingleverse is almost infinite. However, it does have a beginning and an end. The end of the Tingleverse is called the Tingularity. This is a universe that can no longer become gayer, a place of infinite butts. I stare at the button. Not sure if I want to push it, but realizing now that I have no other choice. The author soothes me explaining that it's not so bad and certainly better than the alternative, which is like going out like a light once this book ends. But you wrote me to be okay with that, I protest. I'm not like that guy and reamed by my reaction or whatever. I'm not afraid of going out like a light, but this universe traveling is fucking terrifying. I'll be fine. Where do you want to go? What are my options, I question. Chuck smiles warmly. You could be a gay billionaire dinosaur, or a billionaire jet plane, or a billionaire vampire bus. What's with all the billionaires, I ask? They're hot. Fair enough, I say with a shrug, and then consider my options. Hmm, I think I'd like to be a billionaire jet plane. That sounds super weird. It is. Chuck informs me. Do I get to pick my name and everything? I continue. Sure. I think for a moment. What about Keith? And and can I be a professional card counter, like playing blackjack? That sounds cool. I don't see why not. Besides, that that book is one of my bestsellers, so clearly you know what you're doing. Wait, this already happened? I question. When time is on your side, you can do anything. sending you back to January 28th of 2015. That's when the book will be published. Everyone reading this will think that it's been around for the whole time. That's how time travel works. Whoa, I stammer. But what happens when that book ends? We'll send you somewhere else. That's how the big red button works. I mean, that's how you arrived here at Slammed in the Butthole by my concept of linear time in the first place. I could also just write in a scenario where you do something forever and ever, but that's bound to get a little boring, don't you think? The guy in Ring by My Reaction to the title of this book started regretting his request for never-ending fucking pretty quick. I finally had to go back and let him out. Now he's working in Vegas as a dinosaur magician. Wait, 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 wait. Go back? You mean I've been in other books? About ten or so, yes. As different people or objects, once you were a Bigfoot that was a lawyer and a doctor. That makes no sense, I inform him. Just push the button. I'm hungry, and John's cooking spaghetti tonight. I place my hand on the big red button. I push. push, push. 
can't believe this way between time and handsome man who works for company that invents time machine. This was a fun way of exploring this relationship, and as my name of Chuck, I would like to thank reader name of Becca Blackwell for helping us prove love in this way. Looks like at the end of the dang day, we just have to spend the time we have as well as we can, appreciating each moment for what it is. This is called gratitude, and it is a very important part of the Buckaroo lifestyle. Hope you can get out there and take a moment today and think, Whoa, can't believe in all of infinite time, I get to be right here, right now. Now it's time for this show to end. So, so I will leave you with this one final message of truth across all timelines. No matter where you are, in the past, or the present, or the dang future, just know, love is real. Love. in the butt by my own podcast is a Night Vale Presents production, written and hosted by Dr. Chuck Tingle. Our editor is Grant Stewart. Our sound designer, mixer, and composer is Vincent Cascione. Our producer is Christy Gressman. Our assistant producer is Adam Cecil. The theme song is Proving Love is Real by Caged Animals. This episode was narrated by Becca Blackwell and directed by Ellie Heyman. The logo was created by Chuck Tingle. Very special thanks Joseph Fink. You can get the book, Slammed in the Butthole by My Concept of Linear Time, and many other classic tinglers on Amazon or at chucktingle.com. For more information, go to Pounded in the Butt by My Own Podcast.com. Remember to subscribe wherever you like listening to podcasts, and thanks for listening. High above Paris, near the very top of the Eiffel Tower, here an all-new adventure featuring this janitor. I can come? These stagehands. Jack! Letitia! And this drunken, out-of-control diva. Flattery will get you nowhere except my dressing room. The Orbiting Human Circus in Naughty Till New Year's. Listen now from WNYC Studios and Night Vale Presents.